You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look specifically at verses 11 through 16. I want to read that for you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 11, Paul says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for your word. And uh, Father, we just want to invite your presence here. I want to invite your presence here, Father, in such a way that you would come and you would speak a word to each one of our hearts. Father, we need to hear from you. And I would imagine, Father, that each of us in this room maybe needs to hear a different kind of a word from you. We know that your word is living and active. It is powerful. So, Father, I pray that you would come and just allow your presence to to seep into this place, into our hearts. Give us your spirit, Father, we ask. Ask God that your spirit would come and open up our hearts to hear from you. That you would remove anything that would be a hindrance. That you would come in such a way that you would push out the darkness. That you would come and speak a a life-giving word of transformation to each of us. Father, please come and, and strengthen those of us who feel we just can barely take one more step today. Pray, Father, that you would come and, and provide healing for those of us who are just feeling wounded and sick and sore. Pray, Father, that you would come and speak uh, a word of rebuke and even invitation to those of us who are walking in rebellion and sin. Call us back to the foot of the cross, we pray. Pray that you would do all of that for the preaching of your word. Help us to cast our gaze, our attention, our focus, our eyes on you. All of us we pray. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. So Paul's words uh, to Timothy in the opening verse of our text for today, be verse 11 carry a tone of seriousness that really cannot be dismissed, if you look at it again with me. Five words in that first verse. Command and teach these things. Just think about the weight of those words. Command and teach these things. There are five simple words that carry a real serious meaning. The reality is uh, that we all have a serious responsibility to command obedience to the teaching of God's Word. That's a heavy matter. 
And it's a heavy matter because men and women who teach with their words what their lives don't support are dangerous teachers to follow. So, the question is, when was the last time that you surveyed your life? When was the last time you surveyed the seriousness of your responsibility to command and to teach the things of the Lord to others? Maybe ask yourself this, what things are you tempted to even dismiss from the teaching of God's word? In what ways do you want to reframe or reshape God's very simple, basic commands and and reframe or reshape his commands into maybe his suggestions? So those questions are very important questions, I think, for us to ask. I think that they're very important to ask because they are discipleship questions. There is a very natural form of discipleship in the scriptures as you study the Bible. Um, It's a very serious topic. It's not something you just arrive at with a ho-hum attitude and be unprepared for. Discipleship is serious. Paul's word to Timothy in his next letter, in 2 Timothy, um, described the the discipleship process as um, taking what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and then entrusting that, those things, to other faithful men, people, who will be able to teach others also. So this process of discipleship is is simply to take serious the things that you are receiving and are being given and taught to you and then pass them along and teach them and train them to others who are going to be faithful. To It's an entrustment. Discipleship is a, it's a serious, serious thing. Um, but the calling, um, not only on the life of ministers young like Timothy or old like Paul in this case, Um, not just on those two characters that we see in the Bible, but the calling on every Christian, every person who claims the name of Christ, every person who has ever consumed the teaching of the things of the Lord is, is simply that we would all command, that we would all teach these things to other faithful followers of Jesus, who will then in turn do the same thing with others. This is a natural, relational process of discipleship. It's a serious thing to look at somebody else and to say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. Come follow me and mimic my life as I mimic Jesus. That's a serious thing to say. And it's something that you'll see the biblical authors saying. And it's something that we as Christians are to say. I think the thing that we all have to remember is that regardless of what role we're in, um, this is really what we're doing. So whether you're a parent, 
you have children, um, or, or you're a spouse and you, you have a spouse, you have a husband or you have a wife, um, whether you just have friends, you're a friend to somebody, or you're, you have coworkers, you actually work with someone, or you have relatives, regardless of what role you want to put on, um, it is a great privilege and responsibility in, like, in the vehicle or the capacity of that role to see that role as a gift that's been given to you and I to then disciple others in. And it's a, it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility to pass along what has been freely given to us. If you trusted in Christ and you are saved, if you received the gift of salvation, then you, you believe that that's a free gift that's been given to you. So then the responsibility we have is to then freely pass that along to others. But you first have to receive something to freely pass it along. You cannot give what you do not have. No relationship with Jesus simply means that there will be no sharing of the things of Jesus with others. So Paul's instructions to Timothy, and I believe to any other true believer, is to keep a close watch on how you live and on what you teach. I think that's the kind of the basic summary of what Paul is saying here. Keep a really close eye on how you live your life and what you teach. If we're going to command and teach the things of the Lord to one another, then we have to begin with keeping a close watch on ourselves. We must be in the serious business of watching not only what we teach with our lips, but also what we teach with our lives. This is a lips and lives categories. What do I mean? What do I mean when I say that we must watch what we teach with our lips and our lives? Glad you asked. Number one, watch your example. Watch your example. Verse 12, Paul says, Let no one despise you or your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, uh, we oftentimes look to someone older than us to be our example, right? Look for somebody that's been there before already. And that's not a bad thing to do. It's good to have people who are in the sage category. Um, someone who's gone before us, a little bit older than us. Um, it's good to look for those folks to be our example. Not bad at all, as long as the person we're looking to is actually a good example. Okay? Age, just because you're older, doesn't mean you're a good example. Um, but I also think that we miss the power of people who are younger than us and the examples that they can be. I've oftentimes had my own children uh, be very good examples to me in many different areas. Um, so I don't think we should miss that, and I think that's Paul's point here. I think Paul wants to dispel um, the insecurity that Timothy would have felt, because he's a young minister. We know he was a very gentle minister as well. So I think he wants to dispel that when he basically says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, because you're young. Don't let anybody despise you because you're young. Um, 
Now, now regardless of age, whether young or old, um, we all need others to be examples to us, and we need to be in the business of being an example to others. The question is, how do we measure whether or not we are actually being a good example? How do you know? Would the Bible teach us about being a good example? Well, Paul lays it out really neatly here. It's a nice thing about the Apostle Paul in this area. He does a really good job of laying it out. Simply says, set the believers. If you look back again at verse 12. Set the believers an example in what? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So as you examine yourself, as you keep a close watch on your example, all you got to do is take a good, cold, hard look at your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity, your words, your, your behavior, your affections, things you desire deeply, right? Your relationship with Jesus, your purity. All of these things act like little indicators in your life of your example. Ask yourself these kinds of questions. What kinds of words come out of your mouth on a daily basis? Right? What kinds of words come out of your mouth on a daily basis? What, what behavioral habits have you formed in your life? What, what or whom do you love or hate? What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Um, are you willing to do anything to protect your purity before the Lord? The reality is that the world around you is watching you. That's the reality. If you call yourself a Christian, especially the world around us is watching. So watch your example by watching your words and watching your behavior, watching your affections, keep an eye on your relationship with Jesus and guarding your purity. Simply watch your example. Number two, if you look at verse uh, 13, watch your devotion. So watch your example and watch your devotion. Paul says, verse 13, till I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So what Paul's doing here is he's instructing Timothy uh, to be a devoted young man, right? We all probably remember seasons of our lives where we didn't have a devotion to much of anything other than getting food in our bellies and a place to sleep. Paul is calling Timothy to be a devoted young man. Now, if you think of the word devotion, devotion itself is in the same category of words like commitment and ownership. And Paul is basically telling Timothy that he needs to keep a close watch on what he devotes himself to, right? Uh, he wants Timothy to keep an eye on to watch what he is committed to. Uh, he, he wants Timothy to keep an eye on what owns him. Uh, and, the, and the sense here, I think, is not just an inward uh, belly-gazing sense where you're just so focused on yourself that you miss everything else. I think the explicit sense here and what Paul is saying about devotion is that Timothy would keep a close watch on his devotion. And, and the way that he's going to know that he's keeping a close watch on his devotion, the way he's going to know if he's devoted to the right things, committed to the right things, owned by the right things, he'll know that if his life is devoted to, committed to, owned by what? 
the public reading of scriptures, exhortation and teaching. So think of those three things with me for a minute. It's basically saying, watch your life. Make sure you are devoted to. Make sure you are committed to. Make sure you are owned by the regular reading of the scriptures publicly. So you, you do this by yourself, right? On, on lunch break, maybe. Uh, you do this with your friends. You do this with your relatives, with your spouse, with your co-workers, with, with other church members in gospel community. But with anyone that you can read the scriptures with, Paul is telling Timothy, and by implication easily, us, read the Bible. That's what he's saying. Um, second, he talks about exhortation, right? Be devoted to, be committed to, be owned by a calling to encourage everyone you know or meet. This is what the word exhortation basically means, is to encourage others around you. And the kind of encouragement that the Bible teaches us about is not just the kind of like attaboys and the, like the pat on the back, like you did a great job, although those things are good and we want those things. The kind of exhortation slash encouragement the Bible teaches us about is an encouragement in the gospel. It means to encourage one another to look to the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. That's the kind of encouragement we find all throughout the Bible, is to keep our focus on the cross and the empty tomb. And then finally, the third thing here um, is teaching God's Word. We're called to be devoted to, committed to, owned by the teaching of God's Word to one another. Like I, I think that our noses should be stained in the ink of the Scriptures. Our hearts should be overflowing with the words of the Bible. Our minds should be full of the instruction of God's Word. You will think about this picture. When our noses are stained with God's Word, when our hearts are overflowing with God's Word, when our minds are full of God's Word, then what's going to happen? Your teaching, my teaching, our teaching is going to be full of devotion and commitment to God's Word. Why? Because God's Word will actually own our hearts, our minds, and our words. Question is, is are you owned by God's Word this morning? Are you owned by God's Word? Or are you owned by something else this morning? I, during worship, I sat down. I got a sense of complete distraction in our place. I got a sense of unholiness here. I got a sense that we walked in here owned by something other than God's Word and an intense passion for the cross of Christ. I listen to our prayers, and I don't hear a love for Jesus. I listen to the way that we worship together. I didn't hear a love for Jesus this morning. I don't know what happened. But there was a sense of flippant game playing taking place in our midst. And that's not the spirit of Christ. When Jesus died at the cross, that's a serious thing. What you walk in this morning owned with, owned by your own fears. This world around us is watching. So watch your devotion. Close eye on your commitments. Watch what owns you. Do not be owned by anything less than the public reading of scriptures and then 
encouraging one another in the gospel and teaching the word of God. Watch your devotion, Paul is saying to Timothy. Number three, watch your gift, verse 14. Watch your gift. So Paul says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, the reality, according to the Bible, is that every believer has been given spiritual gifts to use for the work of ministry, right? We're all wired uniquely and differently. In, in our day, and I, I think most likely for sure, in Timothy's day as well, it would be easy um, to just simply settle into kind of a consumeristic mindset, right? And that consumeristic mindset where, where the church uh, exists like some sort of an entity um, that just exists to serve me as I consume the product that is given to me, right? That's easy for us to land in that. I think it would have been easy then to, and there is, there is an element uh, for every one of us um, to be consumers. We are needy. By nature, God created us, and because of the fall of the world, sin in the world, because we're broken, we are needy. We need something, and the, the church does exist to give something called the gospel to people, right? <coughs> um, but at the same time, as being needy consumers, um, the Bible also presents us as people in the church as faithful and joyful contributors. This is, this is part of the worship aspect that uh, Eric talked about this morning, right? Part of that worship aspect. Um, it's part of giving yourself as a sacrificial offering in worship. There is a sacrificial contribution that is taking place when we all gather um, to worship Jesus through song, and, and worship takes place throughout the week. So there is a con there's a consumer side, and there's also a contributor side. Um, you and I have been given spiritual gifts. Why? Make yourself feel good? No. No. We've been given those spiritual gifts so that we can then be a gift to others, to give ourselves away for the sake and the cause of serving other people around us. And Paul, uh, as he's writing to Timothy here, he's concerned that we would not uh, be negligent with the gifts that he's given us, right? That's what he's saying to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift you have. See, we, we should not be negligent in the way that we give ourselves away as contributions to the cause of the gospel. Um, I think it's also uh, really important to note here, too, that when you think about the way that Timothy received this gift, it wasn't like Timothy was just like out in the trees and then suddenly this like light shone down from heaven and there was like songs from angels, oh, right? And the gift just like drops out of heaven. And then Timothy walks up and he's like, yo, bro, like I got this gift now. You need to respect me, right? Respect my authority. No, that didn't happen, right? It wasn't just like some in the like box thing where he just like Lone Ranger Christian, just me and Jesus. And I certainly gave me this gift, right? The gift that he received happened where? Look back at it again, right? Happened when hands were laid on him by other leaders around him. Our, our gifts are actually encouraged in us uh, by the community around us. I mean, you think about this in the, in the sense of a family uh, in our home. It's always an awesome thing to look at one of our kids and say, hey, I didn't know you had that gift of vacuuming. Go get some vacuuming. No, not really. But 
it's cool when you see somebody's legitimate gifts, right? My kids are snarling at me like right now. I can just hear it. But seriously, right? It's good to encourage that gifting. Like, hey, like you're really good at arguing. Let's tone that down a bit and then put that into action, like arguing for good things, not bad things. Okay. Um, so this is this is what happens with Timothy. This is what happens in the church, is that as a body, as a community, we encourage one another to use each other's gifts, uh, like the faithful contributions that each of us are. Um, Why? Because the world around us is watching, right? The world around us is watching. The last thing the world needs to see in the church today is another country club get planted where you come and you pay your dues, right? And you get some real kind of cool spiritual paraphernalia somehow. That's the last thing the the, the, the world needs. The world doesn't need for the church to look like a spectator sport because it already looks like that in so many ways. We're all, we've all been given gifts so that we can contribute to the needs of one another together. Something I love about church planting, something I love about this church and what God has been doing in it um, is being able to identify people's unique wiring and gifting and then put people to work, right? Hey, this is the way we invest together. <coughs> So the world is watching, so keep a close eye on your gift. Keep a close watch over the faithful use of the gift. Watch your gift, period. Number four, <coughs> watch your progress. This is verse 15. Watch your progress. Verse 15, Paul says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Three words in there that are really going to influence what I say here. Practice, immerse, progress. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Uh, you might get a sense of where I get this, this phrase that, hey, the world is watching. All may see. Um, and the world is watching. We know that to be true. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Here's the deal. Practice makes perfect, right? And saturation makes maturation. Like, is that really a word? Yeah, it is. Well, you guys got to go find it in the dictionary somewhere. Practice makes perfect, and saturation makes maturation. In other words, you get better with practice, and you mature as you dive deep into the, the waters of practicing what you preach. Okay? So if you put these thoughts together, um, practicing saturation, just saturating yourself, Dive into those deep waters like you're jumping off of a diving board. Practicing that kind of depth of saturating yourself and what God is teaching you, it's important. Why? Because people are watching you. You got your friends, you got your coworkers, got your relatives, got the bank lady, got the gas station attendant. Some of you that work here or, or come here work for gas stations, right? And so you got gas station attendants. You got other students in your school. You might think about that. Everybody that you come into contact with that knows that you are a Christian, they're going to be left with a certain impression of the visible you that they see because they're watching you. So simply watch yourself, right? <coughs> I think oftentimes it's easy to get hard on ourselves. Anybody here ever get hard on yourself? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay. Be a little hard on yourself. Get down on yourself. <coughs> Maybe a little more prone to the poor, pitiful me category. Okay. I, I fit that too. Some days. Um, maybe you do that because you don't see a whole lot of progress in your life. 
like to see more progress and you're, you're just down on yourself because you don't see as much progress as you'd like to see. What's the result of that visibly? The result of that is that it leaves other people with the impression that says that you and I are stuck in a rut and that our Savior is not resurrected. Doesn't it? Like he's either A, resurrected, and you're not living in a rut because, you know, I mean, a rut is a grave with the ends kicked out, right? And since Jesus overcame the grave, if you've been resurrected and you're tasting that with him, then why are you stuck in a rut, right? Why is that where your life is at? Somehow that's become popular in Christianity today is to be stuck in that rut and whine and complain. I just can't get out of this. No, you trust in the Savior who left the tomb empty. That means you get out of that rut, right? Okay, so um, that's one impression. The other impression uh, would be probably to see yourself as progressing at a much faster rate than you really are. Just pretty sure you got this all down, right? You're good to go. You're rocking it. It's cool. Uh, you know, I'm the result of that, um, I think, is that you leave others with an impression that you think way too highly of yourself, right? Um, and with both of these issues, with either ditch that you can fall into on that, um, with either one of those ditches, uh, the, the, the real issue in the midst of all that is, is, like a, is like an overdeveloped infatuation with yourself, right? It's not an over-infatuation with Jesus, because if you have an infatuation with Jesus, number one, you ain't going to get stuck in ruts. And number two, you will not think too highly of yourself because you'll be too busy thinking really highly of who? The resurrected Christ. And that's who you are living your life to praise and to worship. So, Paul says here in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Practice what? Immerse yourself in what? Right? Maybe just start with practicing and immersing yourself in the very simple things that he's saying right here in this passage. You ain't got to go anywhere else. You can just stay right here. Okay? It makes it, he makes it really easy on us to find the answers to our questions. So quick summary of where we've been so far for that reason so that we don't forget. Practice. Devote. Immerse yourself in being a good example with your words, your behavior, your affections, your relationship with Jesus, and your purity, then what's going to happen if you do that? You're going to make visible progress for all to see. If you're devoted to, committed to, owned by, nothing less than what? The public reading of scriptures, encouraging one another in the gospel, teaching the word of God to each other, then what? You're going to make visible progress in front of others and other people will see it. Uh, if we're not negligent with the use of our gifts. Right? Just to summarize that once again, too. And if we're not negligent with the encouragement of others and the use of their gifts, then what's going to happen? We're going to make progress, visible progress for everyone around us to see. This is what Paul is saying. So the bottom line is that we will make visible progress um, by watching our example, watching our devotion, watching our gifts. Um, simply put, the world around us is watching, right? So keep a close watch on your progress by practicing everything you're learning here. Number five, number five, and last point. Um, watch your life teaching. Verse 16, watch your life teaching. <coughs> Paul says it this way. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. I love that word. Persist. It's a picture of striving hard 
It's a picture of not giving up. It's a picture of not being lazy about this. It's a picture of continuing in this. Persist in that, right? Persist in this. Why? For by doing so, or by so doing, the words in the right order, for by so doing, you will save who? Both yourself and your hearers. Now, let me deal with the last part of that here in a minute. What this final verse is, give you a summary, um, is, it, it basically is a summary, this final verse. It's basically a summary of everything that Paul has already said in, in, the, in the previous verses. Um, and he's just simply saying that we need to keep a close watch on our lives. Keep a close watch on what our lives teach. We need to be persistent, not inconsistent with this. Anybody here struggle with inconsistency? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You can just think about it. If you'd like to raise your hand, you can. Okay, me too. <laughs> Paul say, hey, don't be inconsistent in this. Be persistent about this. Get after it, right? Why? Like, why do we even give Paul two thoughts on this? Like, who gives a rip whether someone's being inconsistent or, or, or persistent? Well, he answers the question. The answer is that salvation is at stake. Salvation is at stake. This is a very serious business. Now, this is where I want to touch on what he says at the end there. We won't have enough time to just dive real deep into this, but, but if you know the scriptures well, if you understand the message of the gospel, there ain't, there, there ain't a, a licking thing you or I can do to save ourselves, okay? The prayer that you prayed at camp didn't save you. Jesus saved you, period. I'm glad you prayed the prayer. Don't hear me wrong. And if you're here and you're not following Jesus, and hopefully you begin to see this picture of your sin and God's greatness and goodness for you and his invitation to you to come follow him and trust in him, that's awesome. That ain't a work that you did on your own. That's a work that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you through the words of a preacher and God's word, right? Like, it's all about God, not you or me. So, salvation does not begin with us. I, got, I rant on this forever. Um <coughs> The thing about this specific passage is it's like a, like a linguistics thing. I think what Paul is simply saying is that this is a heavy business we're in. People are watching. Salvation is at stake. People do get saved because your example in front of them, your model in front of them, your life teaching wakes them up out of their slumber. God uses imperfect people to get into the lives of others and help those hearts wake up, get saved, and start following Him. And that could be happening right now, right? It could be happening as you go to work tomorrow. It could be happening tonight as you put your kids to bed. It could be happening uh, when you post something on Facebook. Like God wants to use you to see other people's lives get changed through the message of the gospel. So salvation is at stake. This is a life teaching thing. The question is, is what kind of life teaching is happening through you? Right? Because the world is watching. And eternity hangs in the balance. There's a reason Jesus died on a cross, and it's serious. It's not a game. The songs that we've seen up here are meant to draw us to a place of, on the one hand, utter hopelessness in our own ability, and on the other hand, complete resting and joy in the sufficiency of what Jesus did at that cross and in that empty tomb. The world is watching. 
keep close watch on your life teaching because salvation is at stake. As I close, I want to summarize where we've been. And I want to, I want to, I heard um, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite authors. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon who made the statement that whenever it comes to preaching, his desire was to start with the text and make a beeline straight for the cross. And so I've made that my aim um, since hearing that. And so every time I step into a pulpit, my aim is to start with the text, explain it, and then make a beeline straight for the cross. Like, why do you need the cross this morning? Do you need the cross this morning? Are you owned by the cross this morning, right? That's, that's where we start to, start to land at as we come screeching to a halt at the end of a sermon. So as I summarize, um, what we've learned from the text is that we're called to command to teach the things of the Lord to one another, right? It's a serious thing. And if we're going to do that, if we're actually going to command, heavy word, and teach others the Bible, uh, we need to begin with keeping a close watch on our what? Our lips and our lives, okay? If we're going to be in this business of following Jesus, it ain't about you or me specifically. It's about, it's about you and I and how we then live through our lips and our lives as we disciple others around us. Um, so we need to be in the serious business of watching what? Our example, our devotion, our gifts, our progress, and our life teaching. Those are the five things we talked about. We recognize that salvation is at stake here um, because you and I, as believers, if you're a believer here this morning, <coughs> we are the visible representation of Jesus to the onlooking world. When the world looks in and sees us, they're making a judgment call about Jesus, right? Because you and I are like Jesus. We claim Christ. And honestly, I'm going to say this. I, the best way to keep a close watch on yourself in all these five areas, you know what the best way to keep a close watch on yourself is? I would be to keep your uh, eyes at a close watch on Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus' example, if you go through these five categories quick, think about Jesus' example. It was perfect. Think about Jesus' devotion. Like, Jesus' devotion to you and to I and to the Word of God? It's, it's immaculate. You, you can find nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Think about the gifts that Jesus had. I mean, it's perfect, right? So, I mean, you just keep going through this. But the way that he executed his gifts, never for selfish gain, never to injure others, always to serve. The way that he used his gifts was perfectly executed. You could never accuse Jesus of, like, sitting in the back or, or like, never participating. Jesus was all up in it, right? Um, Jesus' progress as he grew in stature before the Lord and knowledge, wisdom. Um, it had absolutely zero flaws. I often wonder if he ever had a dirty diaper. I don't know. I mean, can you imagine being his brother? Can I you imagine being his brother? Like going to mom and be like, Mom, Jesus messed up again. And she's like, no, Jesus never messed up. He's perfect. Why don't you be like your brother more, right? crazy. His life teaching was unparalleled, absolutely unparalleled. And I say all this not because Jesus is just simply a good model to follow, because he is for sure a good model to follow. I actually say this because when you and I mess up our lives, when we mess it up in any of these areas that we've talked about, you think of these 
five things that I've listed you need to keep a watch on. When you mess one of those up, it's like messing up the five commandments that I've given you today, isn't it? I've just given you law, basically. Like, go do these things. Watch these things. And don't mess it up. What happens when you mess it up? What happens when you aren't a good example? What happens when your devotion was off kilter? What happens when you do get lazy and don't utilize your gift? Then what are you going to do? You're going to do. You go look at yourself in the mirror again. Oh, I messed up. No, that's not going to help. Not going to help at all. We can't look to our own getting it right even to get right with God. Why? Imperfect people cannot attain perfection through imperfect works. It's a cyclical thing. It won't work. You and I, we're broken, so you, you, can't, you can't get fixed by looking at brokenness. You just can't. This is what the message of the gospel is all about. This is why it is so important to make a beeline straight for Jesus in every message, in every study of the Bible. Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for all of our brokenness and our sin in all of these areas that we've talked about today and more. Why? So that we could be set free from the bondage of that sin and then walk in humble obedience to the commands and the teachings of God's word by the power of his spirit placed inside of us. So, simply put, keep a close watch on yourself by keeping a a close watch on Jesus and all that he has accomplished for you in his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his victorious resurrection. Here's what will happen as you do this. As you keep your eyes on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, here's what you're going to notice. You're going to notice that you're becoming more and more like him. You become more and more like him. If you set your life on trying to be more like him, I think you're going to fail because you've taken him off the cross and you've made him into a model for your life, which again, isn't necessarily all wrong, but if you would just focus on his sinless life, sacrificial death, powerful resurrection, if you would see him as accomplishing all that you could never accomplish, even with his help, I think what will happen is that the Holy Spirit will help you to become more like him. That's called sanctification. That's called transformation. So, so the end game here is this. The world is watching, and they're watching who you're watching. So who are you watching? Watch your life by watching Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray, God, that you would apply this message to our hearts and our lives as we close. <clears throat> pray, Father, that you would um, make Jesus more famous uh, in us. Oh, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.